0: And welcome to the Beer Beervana Show on X-Ray FM, which, of course, you can download in podcast form as well. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. I think we're still on X-Ray FM, as far as I know.
1: <laughs> I, I hope we are. I hope they haven't completely washed their hands of us.
0: Well, I say that because um, they're shifting their schedule around, and so apparently we're, we're going to move into the lucrative daytime hours. Cause right. that's when you want that's when you want to talk about beer. no actually i don't really care i mean it's (laughs) it's cool that we're on the air at any time
1: yeah no that's that's how i feel too and i i hope um given our our on again off again uh pandemic recording i hope that uh they yeah they're trying to run a business so not so not so easy to work with people who are flaky so
0: yeah thanks Ray. (laughs) speaking of pandemic report recording we're uh we are socially isolating in our own homes, and we are connecting virtually across the inner tubes, tubes that connect our houses and everybody's house, carry sound waves uh, through them to each other, and we record, right? Something like that.
1: Something like that, yes.
0: <laughs> Which then we send into X-ray, and they turn it into something nice.
1: Which, you know, I have to say, uh, when we first started this program, uh, lo these many years ago, our kind of brand was how crude we were, how rough and ready our recording was. And now that we're in the pandemic, everybody else has come down to our level. So you hear uh, <laughs> people on the radio and they're breaking up because they're, you know, they're on Zoom or Zencaster or something and they they sound terrible. And I think, oh, sweet. The world has come to us.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say we
1: we're getting back to our roots. Well, we're definitely doing that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: The funny thing was that we tried really hard to make it sound good. You know, we, we bought sort of okay microphones and set up, and I think it probably sounds even better just doing this.
1: Yeah, that could be.
0: It doesn't sound nearly as good as some of the X-Ray FM studios, which we can't access right now, so that's too bad. But anyway, right. uh, we should probably get through the introductions. Uh, you, my friend, are Jeff Allworth, I think.
1: Still. Still yeah. still true.
0: Unless, unless, there's some impersonator who can mimic your voice very well, uh, I cannot I cannot confirm your identity, but uh, your voice sounds familiar. So, uh, you have <laughs> you have written you have written the Beer Bible. Uh, you have now completed the draft of the Beer Bible update. That's right. You wrote the Widmer Way, which is out now, and uh, lots of other fascinating books, including Secrets of Master Brewers.
1: That's right. And uh, on the book front, I have a late-breaking. Uh, kind of update, which is that the Widmer Way, which I spent uh, uncountable hours doing an audio book of, is about to finally have the audiobook release. So that's very exciting. And oh, yeah. Look, so, yeah, you know, look,
0: look for that. Those of you in the pandemic, although I think this is true with podcasts as well, is that people just aren't in their cars right now. So, you know, buy it now for when you're going to be back to commuting.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get we'll get details uh, when that is ready for download so anyway and you actually are well so let me say you are patrick emerson professor of economics oregon state university go beaves and you also have some book news which i learned of yesterday oh yeah my long on again off again
0: uh intermediate microeconomics textbook is is done it's finished it is now in open access form so everybody out there if you would like to learn about intermediate microeconomic theory uh, you can um, probably just Google my name in Intermediate Microeconomics and it might come up. It's um, available through Oregon State University's Open Access uh, Textbook Initiative.
1: I'm telling you right now, everybody li- in, the, in the, the sound of your voice is, is diving to their computers because they definitely want an intermediate microeconomics textbook, for sure.
0: I, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't you?
1: <laughs> you know, I can't think of a single reason.
0: I would print it, you know, keep it by your bedside. <laughs> uh, and then when you when you suffer insomnia just read about a page of that solved there you go but i'm going to plug i will plug this initiative so this was a project that was started by pearson um so the biggest academic publisher of all uh, contracted me to do this book and then as we were about halfway through the project the textbook market just continued to tank and tank and tank and a very prominent intermediate microeconomics textbook was released and just didn't sell at all so they said you know what <laughs> we don't think there's a market anymore for this but it found a happy home because oregon state university in an effort to try and limit uh, limit and lower costs for students has been commissioning open access textbooks from oregon state faculty and so now there is a book out there that uh, faculty can use for free that um, that students can use for free uh, and it'll help hopefully keep the cost of college down so i was very happy to contribute to that uh, so there you go. Okay. Enough about intermediate economics. So I'm still, a, I'm still a professor at uh, Oregon State University. Things are, are kind of crazy there.
1: Yeah. I want to talk to you about that later. We'll put that, let's kick that down to the main show because I'm, I'm really curious about higher ed and I know it touches a lot of uh, uh, people out there. So let's talk about that later. Yeah.
0: I'm curious about higher ed too.
1: So. <laughs> I bet you are. <laughs>
0: we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Well, so transitioning to our podcast today, I'll say that sort of all of this is in the back of our mind when we're thinking about a beer podcast. In some ways, we kind of like to do a podcast as if nothing else has happened, but it's just almost too hard to ignore and it feels almost too awkward to just sit around and talk about beer and brewing uh, during this time. So uh, today's podcast, we're going to kind of do a little bit of a a grab bag, a bit of a catch up. You call it a roundtable of topics. So we'll talk a little bit about Coronavirus, beeronomics, what's going on in the economy, what's going on for brewers right now. We're going to talk entertainment because I watched three episodes of the new Netflix sitcom Brews Brothers so that the rest of you don't have to.
1: Yeah, uh, I could only make it through one, uh, about two thirds of one episode. So, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, we'll talk about why <laughs> later. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about higher ed? We can talk about that. Uh, new brewery initiatives. And just uh, a few other things along the way. So we're not going to ignore the times, we're just basically going to talk about the times right now and um, and hopefully uh, shed some insight and have a few laughs, <laughs> in, this, in this bleak time. Yes. So that's going to be today's show. But before we get into today's show, we should start with the news.
1: So when we recorded our last podcast three weeks ago, there were 16,000 confirmed coronavirus deaths in the United States. As of the last moment, we obsessively hit refresh on the MIT tracking stats before going live. There were up to about 64,000 uh, in those three weeks. So that's a little bit of a uh, overview of where we stand now. Um, and it, you know, it looks like roughly about 2,000 a day. It's just been for weeks. It's we, we just go up and up. So um, that's where we are there.
0: And since this crisis struck two months ago, 30 million people have lost their jobs, or 30 million people have, have filed for unemployment uh, benefits, uh, pushing the unemployment rate up to an estimated 20%. Now, the number of new claims has been tapering off, but was 3.8 million this week. Yeah. So- Probably still an undercount.
1: Right, actually, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens soon, uh, because there's the opportunity for people who don't normally qualify for unemployment to apply the gig economy, and so that could that could be many more millions, which right. should hit later. So we that taper that we're seeing may may pop up again. Yep. So and in the beer world, uh, to bring this uh, it's sort of to a topical point of our podcast, uh, sales of off-premise. That is grocery store beer, grocery store and convenience store beer continues to far exceed sales a year ago, uh, but many small craft breweries have seen sales plummet as on-premise, that is draft sales, have dried up entirely. That is going to be the topic of our first roundtable uh, topic here, which we will get to, and I am hoping you will put that in the context of larger economic trends. Uh, I
0: can try but yes <laughs> the trends are pretty pretty similar
1: <laughs> yeah they are although uh, just to begin sidling towards the main topic um, okay. I do think that you think more you have a more sophisticated understanding of how the economy works and I just boot up my computer every day and look at the news stories with with googly eyes and I don't really. I don't really understand what's happening. I think you probably see what's happening at a more subtle level, and probably see interrelationships relationships in the way the economy works uh, that explains some of this. So, yeah.
0: um, well, one of the one of the things that's interesting, I think, that that sort of puts this in context, is that we're seeing the same kind of dichotomy in lots of different areas. You know, even the 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 toilet paper market, where people aren't going to the bathroom as much, uh, but they're doing it more at home than they are at work. And so, uh, although I've read conflicting stuff, one of the theories is, look, uh, the retail toilet paper market is different than the commercial toilet paper market. And that's why retail dried up, but there's still commercial paper. I'm not sure if that's true, but this sort of two, two sides of the economy exist in restaurants as well, where there's wholesale food, sort of the Cisco kind of uh, wholesale food distribution system and then there's the retail food distribution system and when there's excess demand on the retail it's not easy to just shift over to wholesale and so you hear about farmers dumping milk
1: and potatoes in idaho i saw
0: and potatoes in idaho exactly uh and in fact i don't know speaking of we can we can tie this into beer in in a tangential way i heard that in belgium there was like this government directive to to make french fries like twice a week because no one's eating uh fruit in in the in the cafes anymore (laughs)
1: yeah yeah the, the the literally the belgian government said you got to eat more frites exactly <laughs>
0: uh, so I thought the most about-
1: belgian story ever
0: <laughs> so uh so yeah and so beer is kind of uh, a little more flexible but similar right you have the retail market the packaged off-premise grocery store market and then you've got the on-premise on-site keg market and so it's it's not even though there's a lot of beer, and you could even potentially take that beer from kegs and put it in a package. It's there's still this whole distribution network that gets them to the shelves, of retail stores, and so uh, there's difficulties making that making that switch. But in this case, that trend that retail has gone up and then on-premise has gone down is sort of similar to a lot of those other trends.
1: Yeah, and and we have some of those numbers in front of us, which we can trot through. Uh, I, I, I before we do that, though. Can can you talk just a little bit about looking at the economy? where we are now it, the last time we spoke you talked about the stimulus plans or the uh, that stop they I, I'm not sure I think we need to come up with better language I think it's it's more like stopgap or emergency funding uh, legislation which you felt was was uh, a good start but might need to be upped yeah I mean I
0: think I think first off it's not stimulus because you know we've shut down part of the economy because we need to because that's our objective and so stimulus is trying to get Parts of the economy going again. What we really are is just in disaster relief. Um, right. So by having to shut down a huge part of the economy, we've created this disaster, and now we have to sort of provide that that relief to affected uh, people. And the disaster is cataclysmic. Really, it's uh, incredible, um, massive <laughs> damage that we haven't seen. I mean, I think we're going to be comparing this to the Great Depression. Quite frankly, what concerns me is you think about sort of the immediate job losses and immediate job numbers and and i'm sure other people uh wiser or better spoken than i have have used this analogy before but the analogy that i came up with is to think about a steam train and the steam engine so you can get that thing shut down reasonably quick you put down you put on the brakes and you can stop its momentum and at first you know you can probably restart it and get it going fairly quickly but after but over time the steam pressure gets lost and the fire goes out and then having to start that steam engine again isn't just a matter of letting off the brakes, but it's a matter of stoking the fire and getting it going and then building up the steam pressure and then transferring the steam pressure into into forward momentum and then slowly getting that thing going again. And I think that's kind of what we're doing is we're getting back into those layers now because... When someone loses their job and then that might mean they miss their rent and when they miss their rent, that might mean the landlords, the property owners are in trouble with their banks and then once they're in trouble with their banks, the banks get in trouble. And so sort of the ripple effects throughout the economy are are uh, really frightening to me, honestly. Yeah, It would be lovely to think of a very quick rebound, but I think we're actually in for a very – uh, long recovery.
1: You can kind of see this uh, the way this stuff cascades, just if you look at the physical landscape. Like you look at a, a restaurant and they close the doors because of the pandemic, and that's fine as long as the business is in, you know, can, can open up again and rehire those employees and get going. Mm-hmm. You come back. But if that business goes out of business, it has to close down permanently. Now you've got a retail space that's open. Now you've got uh, employees who are have no job to go back to and now you've got an owner who is probably on the really wrong side of a bunch of leverage. So that all goes into the into the hopper and then the more and more of those that you have it, it's pretty obvious that uh, the harder and harder it is to get you know to snap back to that v shape everybody wants to see the recovery spring into.
0: yeah I mean the, the glimmers of the, the, the hopeful parts are that people are spending less right now and so savings are going up. And people are going to have this excess money that they can spend, but as you say, there has to be places to spend it, and they have to, be able to feel comfortable going out and spending. And that's what would really spark a recovery is if we if we're able to get back fast enough before a lot of these businesses have to shut down permanently, and we're able to sort of generate that demand back reasonably quickly. Then, then maybe we've you know stopped the steam engine and but kept up the steam pressure.
1: Right. 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 It's all about keeping up that pressure.
0: Yeah, but if we lose that steam pressure, then we're in a big, uh, big problem because you know I, I might want to spend money, but the restaurants aren't open, or or a restaurateur might want to reopen, but you know they've uh, they've had to declare bankruptcy. You know all those things. It's it's it can become very difficult. Yeah. And this is why. And So I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a, for for a minute because I've I've been hesitant to talk too much about this because you don't want to sound like uh, a callous you know Fox News talking head. But I do feel like there's been too little coverage of the economic damage that's going on right now at the human at the human level in the press because they've been so overwhelmed with trying to cover the coronavirus story and i think it's created this this narrative that you know you can't possibly do anything in terms of opening the economy because you risk lives and therefore you just have to you have to wait and let the scientists tell you when to open and i actually think that's wrong i think that we do things all the time uh, we make choices as a society all the time about uh, the trade-offs between lives saved and human activity and human and economic activity so we you know we design our roads and have speed limits and all of that's based on a trade-off between between efficiency and safety uh, there's airline safety over-the-counter drugs like what we decide could be sold over the counter every every many drugs carry a risk of Overuse and things like that, gun regulation—you name it. There's all these ways, and so as an economist, we're kind of comfortable making these trade-offs, right? We we can put a uh, uh, we can make a cost-benefit analysis, includes a value of human life in there, and then we understand that we're making these trade-offs all the time. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the, the the discussion right now. And I actually think that we're 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 discounting too much that the the real human impact of the economic. Damage that's going on right now. I think that there's um, a real uh, human cost and a and a and a lasting human cost from the sort of the education uh, uh, loss of education we're having right now, loss of jobs, the social and, and uh, emotional stress, the health effects. All these things I think are big, are pretty big costs, and we have to start. I think getting uh, a little braver, perhaps I suppose. I, you know, being on the west coast, I we can say that. <laughs>
1: Right. New Yorkers are not going to say that.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's areas in the South, for example, that seem a little reckless right now. Uh, I don't think they're making a proper calculation either. But I also think that, like in the West, the the, the, the word of the day is definitely caution. Um, and I just think that that's, that makes sense in terms of the public health part, but it probably doesn't take as much account into the economic effect. Um, because I think that you have this um, real nonlinear effect now. Every extra day, isn't just one more sort of notch uh against the economy it, it's uh it's more like an exponential effect every extra day is probably is probably compounding the uh the effect by an order of you know two or three, or, three or three right
1: because that's when when you start losing businesses and these when the when the steam starts going out that's when you're you're talking about that exponential issue
0: yeah so i mean it's true we want to we want to save lives
1: but you know we're, we make choices
0: constantly as a society about the trade-off between the costs and benefits of, of yeah, safety, and right? Yeah, and
1: just to throw in my two cents from the humanist side here, I agree, and even before Governor Kate Brown closed down uh, Oregon, I, I I posted something on Facebook where I talked about this and and said, you know, she's probably compelled to consider things in in a holistic sense, in a non-moralistic, a moral absolute. From a morally, if you want to take a morally absolute position, it's easy to say we should shut everything down and not open up until this thing is completely uh, taken care of or we have vaccines, and yet. There's a kind of willful blindness that happens where we ignore the human cost of that decision, which which definitely happens. And it happens with people who don't have health care, who work in the gig economy, on and on and on, who are all of a sudden thrown into this situation in life where the coronavirus is no longer the danger. But um, all, all these life situations uh, become much more paramount. You know if, if if we'd had a chance to discuss all of this in the absence of a pandemic we might have come to some kind of agreement about where that balance point is and but now it seems like we're just being th- thrown into this situation where very few people know how pandemics work and it's become politicized very quickly so every decision is seen through a political valence and it makes it makes these kinds of decisions so much more fraught um, yeah. so it, it's a it's a terrible situation and and i i tend to agree that uh the the costs of remaining shut down seem to be ignored by people who would otherwise care about the people that will affect yeah
0: well what i would say is i think it was the right decision to act early and shut down and i think it's been effective but i think now right. it's also the right, right decision to start thinking aggressively about how can we balance safety and uh economic activity um you know i, I I don't pretend to be an expert in any of this. Uh, well, econ- economics, I suppose I pretend to be. But uh, <laughs> but it seems to me now that, you know, mandating the uh, wearing of masks in public and letting places open up is probably the, the the way you have to go forward, really. We'll talk about higher education, sort of the discussions that are going on there and what it'll look like in higher education. But yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about sort of beer, but I just want to make the bigger point before we talk about beer, that this is something that I think is, is not, Yet being talked about enough, and I actually don't think it's helpful when you've got other states that are just opening up willy nilly, because I don't think that's a very, a very thoughtful response either. And I still haven't found yet like a really good discussion. There was one article in the New York Times, which I tweeted on my regular Twitter, my um, Oregon Economics Twitter uh, feed, that that was the first sort of good article I thought that really started delving into these issues. And uh, so I, um, I recommend that.
1: Since that was a slightly dark note, I would like to mention uh, beer for a moment. Yeah, I am drinking Rosenstadt Hellas Lager, which has been put into a bottle for my convenience. Hey, <laughs> oh. yeah, uh, this is one of the local breweries that uh, was an all-draft brewery uh, in uh, you know on March first when all this came down, or March fifteenth when the situation was got very dire for them, and they had been trying to get into bottles and then they had to to speed that up to get rapidly into bottles to stay basically to have any income at all um and they they have finally done that and i i would like to give a shout out to the rosenstadt guys because they are a little bit of an undersung small brewery here in portland one of the german only all german breweries the two owners uh one is actually german he's a, a virologist believe it or not um PhD (laughs) virologist, uh, who has experience in HIV, but also has big opinions about what's happening with this. We maybe actually should have him on the pod at some point. He might be interesting. There you go. Tobias Hahn. And and his partner, Nick, is married to a German. So they have deep background in German uh, beer tradition. They love, love, love German beer traditions. And so they make fantastic traditional lagers, uh, which they actually, they don't have a brewery. They uh, are contracting and they brew both at portland brewing and at uh laurel her L- uh, laurel wood sorry but they make fantastic beer i love their beer uh and their hellas is really kick-ass so you can buy it at places like beer mongers in belmont station and a few bottle shops around town so have a look for that have a look at that it's really important to be buying beer from these small breweries as we've talked about and especially to support breweries that are making such wonderful beer that would you know, it would be a real shame if they didn't make it through this. So Rosenstadt, Helles Lager. All
0: right. Well, I will join you uh, with my, and I, I think I mentioned this on the previous pod that I, I did a home delivery from Wayfinder uh, Brewery here in town. And I have their Czech style Pilsner, uh, their CZAF uh, Pilsner, which is a decocted Czech style Pilsner. It is delightful.
1: Very nice.
0: I'm going to pour it. Pour it now. I also got their Hellas as well. I got their Hellas, and then I got uh, a Hazy IPA, which they're not. They're known more for their German styles, but the Hazy IPA is actually quite good.
1: Yeah, Kevin Davy, whom I keep wanting to have on the podcast, the brewer over there, is a great brewer, and uh, yeah, he can do it all.
0: Okay, I'm going to have a swig here. Sorry, I'm just making sure. I...
1: Yeah, I just poured a second beer, which I'll, I'll, we'll discuss later. It's another small brewery in town that I want to give a shout out to. But we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. It's a hazy right. IPA, by the way.
0: All right. Well, So we've talked a lot about economics. I've got on my high horse about the economy. I think governors need to get started. Western governors in particular need to start being bold and start really thinking about opening up. Ours isn't. So I'm annoyed about that. But let's talk about what's going on in the beer world. Yeah. So as you mentioned, off-premise package sales have been up. Consistently over the past six weeks: fourteen percent, forty-two percent, seventeen percent, nineteen percent, nineteen percent, 90 percent percent—all up over um, average. Or is that up from week to week?
1: No, it's up uh, over uh, twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. same week. Right. So
0: consistently higher, but not like growing, growing, growing.
1: Which sounds great, but,
0: <laughs> but on premise <laughs> sales have uh, have essentially died completely.
1: That's right, and and in, in the craft sphere which is the one we're most uh passionate about uh 40 of the sales are draft beer so uh to have that taken off the board means that a bunch of breweries like rosenstadt that i just mentioned which were all draft just watch their business completely dry up so it's not hitting breweries evenly it's kind of uh striking in different ways just as you discussed describing uh, toilet paper and
0: uh... yeah and even breweries that do a decent business in package especially in Portland and or in Oregon uh, we have such a robust craft uh, uh, craft draft scene I don't know I want to say that but uh, there's still a lot of, of beer that was sold and draft and so even if they've had a good packaging uh, system and in local grocery stores um, they're uh, uh, they're still hurting
1: yeah yeah it's true
0: so other interesting trends one is that people are buying quote unquote trusted brands right uh, and not not buying more expensive beer yeah they're also buying big 24 and 30 packs <laughs> so <laughs> there's there's kind of the there's kind of a pandemic not hoarding necessarily but definitely pandemic buying which is you're buying cheaper beer you're buying big volumes stocking up and not looking for lots of variety right now just looking for something to to keep down in the basement or whatever and, and have a, head ste- a steady supply. Yeah,
1: and I, I wrote about this today on my blog. Uh, I think there's also a way in which it's uh, comfort food. You know, I've, I've been seeing on social media a lot of people are headed back to familiar music that they really love, uh, familiar television programs. They're they're you know watching Cheers and weird old shows like that. Uh, they want comfort. You know, when when the world is not thrown into chaos, you're not actually looking mm-hmm. for a lot of uh, new and and exciting experiences. You're looking for comfort food to heal this hole, yep. and so you know the beneficiaries of that are these breweries that have old flagships that turns out are fantastic beers but nobody's been <laughs> drinking them because they're always on the hunt for something new but now they're buying you know cases of this stuff yeah uh, one of my uh
0: what i find one of the more humorous uh comfort food uh big sales gains has been the um the chef boyardee line of canned pasta
1: okay that's a blast from the past
0: it is i read about this uh that this is one brand that was particularly like way up over wow uh over normal trend and i went uh, last time i went shopping at my local safeway indeed the whole selection was almost entirely gone
1: (laughs) (laughs) chef boy rd well rock and roll
0: Uh, anyway uh what else oh so the other big trend that you you sent to me is that seltzer has has been up big consistently before this and now it's just gone crazy
1: yeah it's it's up 300 percent this year and it now constitutes eight percent of the beer market which is a figure that it took decades for craft beer to to achieve and they've done it in like three years three or four years whatever that is
0: yeah and this makes sense i suppose people hold up they're more sedentary they don't they They want the alcohol, but they don't want the calories. So seltzer is a nice, easy way to to accomplish that.
1: Yes. So there's all that happening in the beer market. Um, We can continue to encourage people to buy local. A lot of breweries now do dock sales or curb sales. Um, Many will deliver, depending on where you are here in Oregon, they deliver. And uh, you and I both received deliveries from breweries, so that's cool. Um, Yep. So... Support your local brewery. If if you want them to be around after this, it all ends. It's good to kick them some money now. And right. and it's not a horrible uh, chore because you get tasty beer as a consequence.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned, you know, I got mine delivered right to my uh, uh, to my door twice. My two local breweries, and it was incredibly easy, seamless process. You know, I did my order online, I paid for it, and uh, they come and make sure that you're of uh age they had someone has to be there to receive it who's 21 or older but it but they um they confirm that they don't get close to you and they just leave the beer and go
1: yeah it's a great system actually and i i, I think maybe in a future pod we'll have to talk about the way this may continue on after the pandemic and how it will affect uh, distribution and other things but that that's a lot that's a big topic so we'll bite that one off later
0: <laughs> yeah it is a big topic uh yeah so um the 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 thing about that, I suppose, is that that allows, you know, a much higher margin for, for for breweries than, you know, I haven't been buying beer much in the grocery store because I know that, you know, that's only a, uh, a smaller margin. So that's one nice thing about buying direct is they get all that money goes straight back to the
1: That's right. The so one thing that... Um... People are doing with those twenty-four and thirty packs uh, is sitting in front of the television and watching familiar shows and sh- shows that are you know <laughs> uh, pleasant and and you 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 alerted me to uh, one of the finer Netflix offerings. Should we talk about that one for a minute?
0: We should talk. Uh, we should actually give a little context, which is that uh, I, at least, I assume you as well, uh, was contacted by a PR person. Um, I was not. Oh, okay, so we know who holds the juice in this in this partnership. <laughs> Why they reached out to me, I have no idea. But they reached out to me and said, "Would you like to interview the the creators, writers, and producers of this show on Netflix?" Uh, and I had not heard of the show on Netflix, although I think I had sort of glanced uh, at it, browsing through the Netflix thing. It's called um, "Bruise Brothers," and it's a it's a sitcom essentially that. Is about two brothers who are running or trying to start and run a craft brewery in Van Nuys, California, Los Angeles. Yeah. So I thought, well, I don't. Uh, maybe uh, one of the guys has some decent credits to uh, his name. He was a writer for Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, and so I was like, well, okay, maybe it's uh, maybe it's not so bad. So. I so, I, I, I figured, but I better watch it first because I don't want to interview someone whose product I think sucks because that's uncomfortable and not fun. Uh, so, I went to watch it first and it's just terrible. It's objectionally bad.
1: It's unwatchable.
0: It's painful to watch. And yet, I persevered. <laughs> I, decided, I decided, well, you know, sometimes it can get an uneven start and, you know, and maybe it'll find its footing. So, I watched through three full episodes. And I and as I said at the beginning, I did this so you don't have to. Uh, the rest of you uh, avoid this like the plague. It's terrible. It's it's and it has nothing. The the terribleness of it has nothing to do with beer. That we can talk about the ways in which it fails on the beer side, but it just fails as a comedy.
1: Full stop. It's it's terrible. It's, it's really terrible. It it, it it's it, it's one of those things that. Uh, it's irritation comedy. Uh, the characters are dumb and irritating, and uh, so that's not in my wheelhouse. But I, I think even if that is in your wheelhouse, you would find these people aggressively irritating and impossible to watch. That's just not pleasant.
0: Yeah, I mean, irritating is fine if they have some redeeming qualities, and particularly one of the brothers has no redeeming qualities whatsoever, and he's just incredibly uh, obnoxious. But it's like it's like sophomoreic toilet humor. It's sex jokes. And and particularly galling for anyone who's vaguely aware of the male-abominated beer scene, it's misogynistic, it's racist, and it celebrates, <laughs> it celebrates sexual harassment and underage drinking. So it's got everything.
1: It's just terrible. Yeah. It is really terrible. I, I, uh, I watched five minutes of it, and then I had to break. I, I, I couldn't do it. And then I watched, so I thought, okay, before before we do this podcast, I gotta I gotta see if I can get through a whole episode. And I watched it through. In the first episode, there's a scene where the 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 brother who is irredeemable uh, as a character <laughs> is a brewer in Portland, Oregon, for a while, and he's run out of town on a rail because he's so terrible. And I felt like once I'd seen that, I was I felt. I felt like vindicated that Oregon, the the writers knew enough that this guy would not survive in Oregon and that I, I could uh, wash my hands uh, as a Portlander of this whole show, just as readily as they had washed their hands of this idiot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we can talk about sort of the beer stuff they get wrong and I don't know. I'm willing to forgive that. Uh, It's too bad because it's not a bad premise. I mean, it seems like a, a pretty fun setting you could make. There's a lot of potential ways in which you could make this, uh, a great a great sitcom uh, set in a craft brewery. But the brother, that brother, by the way, who was run out of Portland, Oregon, is also supposed to be an Oregon State University graduate,
1: which is sad. That's right. It, 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 in a program that doesn't actually exist, they didn't use the actual, the, the, the program that you can get a brewing degree from, which is funny. But
0: they also have like a Latino character who's funny because he does no work. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and he wears flip-flops because, you know that's a racist thing so that was a
0: ridiculous stereotype then there's one woman on the show who you probably didn't later it's revealed that she's underage and ha ha Oh, nice. yeah and ha 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 and she drinks and she's 19 and uh so they go on with life that way but then they also there's this really and this this is a perfect example of all of the terrible humor they use so uh, they talk about how the breweries is dysfunctional because there's no hierarchy so she's want to draw a little diagram that shows that sort of establishes a hierarchy in the brewery and um and so she goes to a chalkboard, she erases the beer menu and starts writing on the chalkboard and um and they start suggesting like parts of things that she can add to her little diagram and they basically uh, trick her into drawing a penis and then and then have her have her like erase on either side of the penis so it looks like she's stroking the penis. And that's funny. Yeah, terrible. (laughs) Which, which if they know anything about sort of the the struggles of women in the profession, it's just absolutely abhorrent. I mean, that kind of sexual harassment is the kind of thing that gets breweries closed, because that's just unacceptable.
1: And it's not funny. I mean, it's unacceptable. And that's certainly worth worth uh, criticizing for. But it's also not funny. I've been watching the Kaminsky method, uh, which is a Netflix show that's that's out. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's got a really predictable setup. And uh, it's by Chuck Lorre, whose uh, previous work it did not lead me to uh, great confidence. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, I watched it. And it does exactly the opposite. It has a really predictable setup. But instead of uh, seeing the, uh, the the jokes coming from 1985 all the way down the line, like from a mile away, it's actually got a lot of off-speed pitches and the humor comes from unexpected – uh, setups and the deliveries always uh, come from it, a place you don't expect. It's really good comedy. And this thing is the opposite. It's entirely predictable, it's banal, beyond belief, and it's not funny. I mean, f- you know, a big part of humor is surprise. You want to be delighted uh, that you didn't see something coming, you don't want to see it coming from a mile away. And uh, this is, it's just yeah. terrible.
0: It's lazy, it's stupid. And one of the big jokes is that they pee in the beer and. I mean,
1: come it's on. just terrible
0: if that if that's what you have to do to get a to to try to get a laugh, you're doing that. <laughs> you just go that's you. right. Go find go find something else to do. I mean, come on. So anyway, do not watch. Yeah, and please.
1: the um, fascinating thing is while we're talking about television, so there was a show called Brewmasters uh, on Discovery a decade ago with Sam Colagione, yeah. and there have been a few, couple of movies. Um, the U.K. did a cool thing called Ollie Smith's Ale Trails, which was on the U.K.'s travel channel, and I actually helped them mm-hmm. with that a little bit because uh, they came to the United States. Ollie Smith is a Brit, and he came to the United States and, and go to – different states and and do cool stuff. And actually, it was an incredibly well-produced show, and I think it did pretty well. It got two series, so that shows you something. But for the most part, yeah. beer content is not well-translated to a visual medium. And I've, I've, I don't know if you have any theories about this, but uh, I constantly ponder how would you make a television show or a movie that would appeal to people in a you know to appeal to a broad audience and i i don't know i maybe this is a question for you maybe this is a question for all the people listening but it's something that i, I pondered a lot
0: not since laverne and shirley has
1: <laughs> oh boy has speaking a, of coming from 1985 boy oh boy
0: has the premise of brewers and a brewery uh, yeah i don't know i mean like i said i think it's actually a pretty you know you could there's a lot of i think good comedy you could get out of like uh talking about a real craft brewery and having a bunch of brewers around um but they don't even care i mean it's almost i'm not even sure why they chose a brewery because that's not the humor they're interested in anyway um right and if you're really a beer uh a beer snob it'll also infuriate you because there's all kinds of crazy inconsistency. like the first thing is he's got this massive like million dollar plus brand new brewery uh (laughs) and and the premise is he hasn't he has, has no accounts he's got no distributor he's got nothing he's like selling a few glasses of beer from his own you know 12 taps and that's it i mean it's completely absurd right like you would never even uh be able to get this money without a real business plan and have something going on and there's no, but nobody works there. There's no, there's no, there's no beer being brewed as far as you can tell. Nobody's working there actually brewing beer. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's just poor. So uh, I don't know, I don't know why. I think that, I think that if you, uh, they just use the beer setup because I think those like, oh yeah, this is young and hip. And what kind of comedy do young and hip people like? Oh, they like toilet humor and sex jokes. Uh, and beer, and beer, like that. <laughs> to me, that's almost objectionable, right? That's what they think of a beer drinker as someone who just wants to, you know, toilet humor and, and sex jokes. I mean, come on. So maybe it's still this sort of reputation of beer that gets you in trouble. Like, beer people are so unsophisticated that they can't, they 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 don't understand subtle jokes. <laughs>
1: I don't know. So that would be two thumbs down from uh, uh, these reviewers.
0: And by the way, I was disappointed I was hoping it'd be good because I thought this would be fun like this is a great idea uh there's a lot better humor if you go into any craft brewery anywhere and talk to any of the guys and women working in the brewery, you'll find much better humor you know spending ten minutes with those guys than watching a half hour of this show.
1: That's really true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the the people who generally who are attracted to working in breweries in craft breweries at least are delightful people with great sense of humor and I'm sure if they actually talk to some of those people they might actually get some good stories they could put up on on screen.
1: Yeah, I think it's not just craft breweries too. I mean, if you go, I, I remember uh, my my visit to the Budweiser plant in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and uh, all the people were exactly the same. <laughs> they were they were they were people who loved beer and uh they were delightful so yeah i think it's just people who are attracted to beer are delightful people yeah. they're not they're not incredibly aggressively unpleasant humans like we saw on, that, <laughs> on the show
0: <laughs> oh boy yeah we can go on and on but we shouldn't because it does not worth our time but uh yeah so that was a fail
1: yes I will throw, uh, while we're talking, and then we can and then we can move on to higher ed, which I want to hear about. But I will say there was a show that was done in the 1990s by Michael Jackson, the famous uh, yes. British beer writer, um, called The Beer Hunter. And it was only six episodes, but they remain one of the most extraordinary things ever recorded about beer. Uh, and I highly encourage you to go on YouTube and type in Beer Hunter and see see those things. Um, one of them include, it, it has... Uh, video from a now defunct stone beer brewery in Germany where Mm. they drop these giant boulders uh, into beer to uh, make it boil. And it's amazing. And they go to Rodenbach. Uh, It's, it's a, it's extraordinary. I've often wondered, would would it be possible to do something like that again? Uh, Would people be interested in seeing old historical breweries and and learning something about beer in a, in a kind of introductory way that has a lot a lot of gorgeous photography and maybe not i think i think the answer you're an economist and you know the market generally gets what it wants and it seems like the market is not clamoring for this but um
0: yeah i mean i think that was the idea with sam collagioni is that he's like a an entertaining and uh, energetic guy and then he could sort of be the that kind of entertaining catalyst but no i think these days audiences are have been conditioned to want like immediate sort of entertainment and drama and so just just like a, a slow sober uh uh exploration into craft beer here and there is probably not not uh not going to find an audience very yeah. well.
1: it's a shame it's a shame I would love to. to I would love yeah. to uh, be the host, the, the the new Michael Jackson, who takes people to uh, Weinstefan and Harvey's and Rodenbach and walk them through these breweries and and talk about that because I think it's you know the people that that love that stuff love it intensely and they would find it marvelous. But there's probably. <laughs> Like four hundred thousand of them on the planet, so exactly. <laughs> <laughs> as as all my ideas go, it's hard to monetize. So there you are. Yep. Yep. Indeed. So before we go out, I want to hear a little bit about higher ed uh, as just a little snapshot of the situation we're in. You know, if you if you were a grocer or uh, a woodworker or whatever, I would ask you the same question because I think whatever we happen to look at, it, it provides interesting insight into the world we live in. But yeah. higher, higher ed is one of these situations. So, you know, that m- most schools have been shut down through the uh, end of uh, spring term 2020, and then they're looking to fall 2021. And it's, you know, from, for the most part, uh, universities are highly, uh uh, tactile. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, student students go to go to a place to gather and uh, live and and uh, and do stuff together. So it, it's going to suffer some profound change potentially. So what what do you what what are you seeing and what's the what's OSU planning and like what's the future of higher ed? Uh,
0: well, that's the million dollar question, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so what? I'll, so you know uh, uh, what I'll say is that we quickly transitioned to. So distance learning is the, is the term the preferred term. Um, we were in a pretty good spot as Oregon State University because Oregon State has one of the biggest online degree programs in the nation. Um, mm. so, so we have a huge infrastructure to deliver online content uh, Although they're very careful to make sure that uh, we are like we have this firewall between our uh, what they call it eCampus eCampus is our, our remote online, uh, service and then the uh, distance, the remote. What, what is the term? I think it's remote learning that we're doing with our normally on-campus classes now. Partly because those are like they're two different tuitions and they're two different th- two different pots and in and, and administratively two different uh, entities. So they need to be careful not not to just sort of lump them all together. So I'll I'll, I'll give my own university a lot of credit. They very quickly got a lot of resources up and available to faculty. Uh, our college has a whole dedicated group of individuals who are there just to do tech support, to re- do distance learning support. They'll tell you about tools. I've had a couple of mishaps that they fixed. So uh, so that was the first step. <laughs> so we figured that one out. And then Oregon State, um, there's still people living there. They didn't kick everybody out. Uh, um, at first, in fact, they, they were suggesting people stay. And then um and then when it got clear that the whole term was the whole spring term was not gonna we're, we're on quarters by the way so um uh we have three terms one of them ended in mid march and then there was spring break at the end of march and then and then the, basically april may in the middle of until the middle of june is our spring term um when that was clear that they were closing that then they um uh Uh, let students decide but there are fewer and fewer and fewer students on campus so what does that mean well uh, students pay a lot for room and board and we have a huge infrastructure (laughs) to to deliver room and board and a whole bunch of people employed uh, to help the students live and uh, eat on campus Um, and so that creates a huge revenue hole uh, right there and speaking of the economics of a university and then um, uh, and then the question is who's going to show up in the fall so right. in terms of whether we're going to be delivering classes uh, live on campus in the fall, uh, I don't think Oregon State has come up with an official statement yet, but or- University of Oregon has, and among other uh, schools, have begun to announce their intention to hold classes live in person in the fall. Um, I think this is to get out ahead of the governors a little bit and to put some pressure on them because I don't know... Uh, how many schools could survive not having students show up on campus in the fall? Um, state universities are in a bit better shape, but private schools, especially small liberal arts colleges, I think are in very tenuous financial shape in these circumstances.
1: Yeah, well, I was just going to say, because they have been uh, pursuing these uh, immersive experiences. So one of the biggest selling points is you come to the university or the college and you have this amazing you know, a uh, uh, place to stay and arts Installations and uh, you know campus greens and all this stuff, which yeah. you're paying a you're paying a lot of money for that, and and it's really hard to keep the price up if uh, the students can't experience that.
0: So it's it's going to be an interesting. I think uh, I think through Hooker by Quick, we're going to have to find a way to get students back on campus in the fall. The question is, will they come? And for right. for state universities like Oregon State University of Oregon, you know other state universities. In some ways, I think that they're in good shape because the in-state students—it's—it's it's the cheap, uh, the cheap alternative, and so I imagine that our in-state student population uh, uh, enrollments will will hold pretty well. This is just my guess. Uh, early indications is that's probably true um, because you know, for families that are all of a sudden under financial stress, that's now the cheaper option. Uh, I think the big problem is out-of-state and, and foreign students. So people might know that the, the economics of state universities is that it pays to get out-of-state students and international students on campus because they pay a lot more. And they do a lot of the subsidizing of the in-state students. Those are the students who I don't think are going to show back up in great numbers. And that's going to create a real uh, financial burden on these schools.
1: Um, I think there's also an issue with foreign students, I would guess, yeah? Yeah,
0: that's so, what I mean. Out-of-state and international. So. Uh, oh, students, yeah. Sorry, so, I missed that. Uh, yeah. is the is the term of art for foreign students, but yes, uh, foreign students, are, <laughs> foreign students are very important, and um, uh, there's already been a, a decline in foreign students thanks to the Trump administration, um, and so that's going to get worse. we Oregon State's are not quite as dependent. Uh, University of Oregon's going to be in uh, much worse shape than we are for out of state students because um, we are the uh, California is our neighbor to the south, and lots and lots of California kids come up. To our state to take uh, to enroll in University of Oregon, and Oregon State, um, which is delightful because they help us uh, fund our, our in-state students. But um, uh, University of Oregon uh, has many, many, many more of those students in Oregon State, which, yeah. is, which is why the, the the nickname for University of Oregon among the students is is U uh, C Eugene. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, I'm guessing that's not the case at Eugene, uh, but of course there's a rivalry there. So little slag, a little shade. No, being I, learned,
0: I learned the UC name from University of Oregon students.
1: Oh, nice! So oh the, well, uh, there you go. Because
0: there's so many <laughs> California students on campus. Uh, that's anyway, funny. So, so I think I think it's uh, you know if if colleges and universities are not allowed to bring students back to campus in the fall it could get really ugly really quickly i think i think yeah. there'll be a, there'll be a, a, quite a few uh colleges and even some private universities that will
1: that will close before we go out and before we debate this for too long and lose our entire audience i want to mention that i i people may have heard me earlier in the pod crack a beer did you hear that could you hear that i did not oh that's too bad well that was a can of pono brewings isolation hazy ipa pono excellent setup pono you may (laughs) ask who is pono pono is a a, a, it's a small brewery that has an ultra alternating proprietorship with zoigel house yeah and uh larry clauser is the brewer there And he makes all draft beer, (laughs) Uh, which, you know, two months ago left him completely out of business. I was going to say, clearly not because you cracked a can of it. That's right. So over the period of time, he and Alan have been working to try to figure out how to uh, get the beer up and running. And not so long ago – he has been doing crowlers. So. Uh, mm-hmm. that is one, one thing that people can do, but, but crawlers are a much inferior technology because the crawler system, and I mentioned this for anyone who may be listening is, uh, will introduce a lot more oxygen into the can. Yeah. And so it won't last as long. And they're also 32 ounces. And a lot of people don't necessarily want to sit down to 32 ounces. So yeah. it's, uh, a, it, it's an inferior format, well, eventually, Larry managed to get his uh, Isolation Hazy IPA in the cans, which I now have one of here. It's a 19.2-ounce uh, can, but it's only 5%. It's actually slightly lower alcohol than the Rosenstadt I was drinking earlier. Very nice. Yeah. And it's kick-ass. It's really good. It's the kind of hazy that I like. It is uh, gentle and fruity, little bit of bitterness to balance it and super sessionable it's uh, really a really spectacular beer i'm liking it a lot so uh this is another one of those products that you know larry had been trying to build his business and i think he'd been having some success uh you know the the market channels were all open and he was he was plugging his beer and doing his thing and then this all hit and he was in 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 total disarray so yeah. now you can buy pono brewing in cans which allows you to actually access this beer and it allows will allow him to survive and stay in business. So it's another really great beer and uh, I'm really enjoying it. So if you're interested in that at all, uh, look that you know, Google them and, and you can figure out how to buy the beer. Anyway, it's a great beer. So that's cool. I wanted to mention it. that. I'll look yes. for that
0: I'll look for that and Rosenstadt in Portland for sure.
1: Indeed. Both great breweries and I'm happy to mention how great they are. Excellent. All
0: right, we do have a mailbag.
1: Friend of the pod, Mason Astley, who lives in uh, uh, New England, and I think it's Massachusetts, pretty sure it's Massachusetts, but New England. He sent a picture of a glass and he said, any thoughts on this glass, which is marketed as an IPA glass? I like the thin rim, like a nice wine glass and the aroma concentrating shape. And you may have seen these things. They're a weird kind of uh, Doctor Who Abomination? This. Yeah, I feel like they're... this is
0: something that was part of a promo that I saw. What from like uh, Boston Brewing or Sierra Nevada or something?
1: Well, Boston Beer has their own thing. This is a slightly different one, oh, actually. Okay. Sam Collagioni might be behind this thing. I don't know.
0: Oh, okay.
1: It, it's what it is. Is it's it's got a bulb at the top, and then it and then it's got this little stumpy trunk that's got ridges on it below.
0: Yeah. So uh, the, the upper half kind of looks like, I don't know, a Chardonnay glass. Right. And then the bottom half looks like a tapered Yeah, with with bumps.
1: Weird little thingy. Not yeah. Little, thingy. Yeah. Uh it was it was one of these things where somebody who knew too much about beer spent too much time trying to create a <laughs> a, a thing that would accomplish many ends, um without thinking about what the damn thing looked like.
0: See, I swear that I saw a video about, like, the making of this glass and how they designed it with, like, a little nucleation site in the bottom yep. and then a little a little stem with ridges so you can hold it real good and then the top that t- concentrates the aroma because it, it tapers in at the top.
1: Yeah. So, my thought is this is an abomination. It is hideous. <laughs> it is terrible. There are a lot of ways to accomplish this that look graceful and delightful, and this is not one. I Every time I see one of these things, I, I – I shudder. I hate this class. I hate it with a fiery, fiery passion. Give me a shaker uh, I hear pint.
0: it. I hear it in your, yeah. yes, I hear it in your voice. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't have the same passion, but yeah, I don't like it. It's, it's not, it's not pretty. It's not nice. Uh, it looks far too, uh, uh, like far too much thought went into this.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. It was too clever right, by, it's... by not half, but like by 200%. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, I really don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't see it. And that, you know what? And I'm not even. I'm not even super convinced about the whole aroma concentrating top part with when you've got a when you've got a beer that needs to off gas, right? Like it's uh, you got to get some of the CO two out. The aroma is just all over the place anyway. Like a good IPA, it's got plenty of aroma. I don't need it like concentrated into my nose that way
1: yeah that's so, uh, that's definitely I true with an, uh, with an Ipa I, I think uh, I do think the bulb is is useful for more subtle beers uh, although you can go back and listen to our podcast on glassware from two or three episodes ago and you'll hear much more detailed analysis and that's what caused Mason to email us
0: <laughs> yeah no i think I think I think there's a time and a place for the uh, for that shape but I think IPA is not it you know give me a big open glass and that sounds because I'm going to be smacked in the face with that aroma. Totally. Plus, going to get a nice big head, a nice head that's expressing that aroma as well. So, anyway.
1: Yes. So you, uh, you, you, you asked if we had thoughts on the glass, and it turns out we did. So there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there
1: you go. So,
0: so, so break it, just smash it, and get it in the garbage and go away. That's
1: right. That's right. And pretend that never existed. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I think uh, – I have no idea how long because we have to restart this recording
1: three times. So uh, uh,
0: who knows how long we are. But either way, I think it's about time to, to put a bow on this thing. I think so. So a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, <laughs> or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us.
1: Five stars, please.
0: That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to Jeff at com or on Twitter at Pod. Jeff blogs at the Birvana blog, and he tweets at, at @birvana.
1: And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics. Oh, and I should say uh, we also had a more recent podcast about uh, desert island beers. And if you go to the Birvana Pod Twitter feed, you will see many people replying a- and offering their top five beers for this pandemic, yeah, which was a list. lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, go, go, yeah, so go check that out and add your own if you're yeah, interested.
0: It, a, it was it's fun. a fun exercise when you've got nothing better to do, sitting at home isolating. <laughs>
1: yeah it's true there there are many people I would love to join on their desert islands and there were a few that I would uh, I would I'd like to <laughs> skip so yeah right. that's how it goes
0: okay well I still have one last sip <laughs> of my uh, CZAF from Wayfinder my my decocted Czech style Pilsner
1: very cool I have a little bit right. of Pono left 19.2 all right, ounces so I go. should Here's my
0: <laughs> uh, alright
1: cheers there's Jeff. mine cheers Patrick X-Ray.